Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. I'm Vinny Caizzi. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So labor unions are powerful organizations. Those of us who are lucky enough to, to be in a union, have a union job, we see those advantages right away, right? It's pretty obvious to us. But the fact of the matter is that we make up a pretty small portion of this country's workforce. And when I say we, I mean union workers. Union members account for just over 10% of U.S. workers, and that's not a lot. So the question we're going to explore today is how do we survive? What are the issues that we face today that threaten our very existence? That's what we want to talk about. That's what you're here to listen to. But first, let's do a benefits bite. So now that we're in the final year of our contract, we want to remind everybody that you've got a couple benefits you want to take advantage of being the safety glasses and the safety shoes. Uh, These are negotiated benefits that, you know, when we come up to contract time, if people aren't using them, the the company will start to look at it and wonder, why do we pay for this? So definitely take the time um, three times during the agreement of the contract. Employees are eligible to receive a $100 credit for the purpose of uh, purchasing prescription safety glasses. That's a little bit different if you're hired after January 1st of 2020, then you only get two $100 stipends. And if you were hired after January 1st of 2022, you'd only get one of the uh, safety glass uh, credits. Because that's the last year of the contract. Right. Um, Safety shoes is pretty similar. You get a $100 stipend for the purchase of safety shoes. You can only use it once per calendar year. So that's why we say you got to make sure you use it before you lose it. Um, If you're hired after January 1st of 2020, you receive two $100 stipends for safety shoes. And if you're hired uh, January 1st of 2022 or later, you'd receive one of those credits. Um, You can use these credits online to make a purchase for safety shoes. The app and the website both have a link available. All you have to do is log on. You can look at their inventory, and they'll ship it straight to your house. So it couldn't be easier. Definitely make sure you take advantage of that. Absolutely. Free money is free money, right? Go get a pair of shoes. Go get a pair of glasses. Spend that money, right? Because if we don't spend that money, quite frankly, the company looks at that, and they're going to want to take that money away from us if we're not using it. So get out there and use it, and um, enjoy your new shoes and your new glasses. So what do we got in our contract? So this week we're talking about overtime. We've talked a little bit about this in the past. Um, This is definitely one of the things that you want to be somewhat well-versed in. Um, It's important that you know how to read the overtime sheet. It's posted weekly. And you want to definitely double-check every week. Um, So we're going to take you through kind of how to look at the overtime sheet and how to understand the language uh, that supports that. Um, So management is responsible for the selection, distribution, and equalization of overtime. So that means that a management person, whether it's a supervisor or or the manager, should be assigning and offering the overtime. Yes. Your lead person should not be the one coming up to you uh, to offer you the overtime. And if that's the case, definitely let your steward know. And, you know, this isn't anything against the lead people, but... In the event that we have a grievance that we want to file or there's a dispute over the uh, refusals, the charging, that's the responsibility of management. And we want to make sure that, you know, they're not pointing the finger at the lead person. Um, Our contract requires that all the overtime sheets, like I said, are updated every week. They're supposed to be posted no later than the third working day of the following week. So that's typically every Wednesday you should have your sheet updated. If not, definitely let your steward know. Uh, 
on Wednesday, you should just make it a habit that you go up, you check your overtime sheet, you see that it's posted, take a look at your refusals. If you took vacation, make sure that you've been given credit for having taken the vacation day, um, and just make sure that nothing looks out of whack. This is really important, right? Really, really important for our members to understand this. Check the overtime yes. sheets. Keep an eye on it all the time. Yep. Absolutely. This is your responsibility as a member, so do that, right? Protect yourself by checking that sheet. Yeah, it only takes a minute, and, you know, errors can happen. It's based off of SAP, so th these sheets are automatically populated. But, you know, it keeps everybody honest when there's a lot of eyes, you know, taking, taking account of what's being put on the sheet. Um, so when you take a look at these sheets, it's important to remember that all overtime is tracked in terms of hours paid. So if you work five hours on a Saturday – that's time and a half. You'd see a seven and a half hour charge for time and a half on five hour Saturday. If you worked a five hour Sunday, that would be double time. So obviously that would be a 10 hour charge. Um, if you're offered overtime and you turn it down, you're going to be charged a refusal. So rather than just a number, you would see the letter R with the corresponding refusal number of hours that you turned down. So if you're scheduled for overtime and you fail to report, you're also going to be charged that corresponding number of hours. There, instead of an R, you might see an S, but it's the same concept. Uh, you were offered to work. You didn't show up, so you're going to have a refusal. Um, another thing to look out for, if the company decides to work extended hours on a weekend, you know, unexpectedly. So they offer a regular you know, five-hour weekend on a Friday. All of a sudden on Saturday, they decide, hey, we have a need to stay three hours late. They cannot charge a refusal to people that are at home. So if you come into work and you find out, oh, I was charged a refusal, that's called equalizing the overtime. They cannot do that. Uh, similarly, if you're at home and you receive a phone call asking you to come in and you pick up and you say, no, I can't make it today, they still cannot charge you a refusal for that weekend. You cannot charge a refusal if you've offered it over the phone. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are some important things because they're common, right? Yes. Um, Supervisors do call people on the phone. Make sure you're not getting charged if you say no. And and I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the previous item you talked about, which is it's essentially overcharging, right? There's no such thing as unlimited overtime. So if a supervisor says, hey, work what you want, right? Everybody can work whatever they want. That doesn't work in our system. Because what happens is the supervisor ends up charging everyone in the group the amount of hours that the the, the, the high, high guy worked, right. right? So if one guy works 12 hours, everybody gets charged 12 hours. That's not correct. They have to offer you a specific amount of overtime and charge you accordingly. So make sure that happens, yeah. right? Make sure you're not getting overcharged. If you see a charge on the sheet where you're being charged a refusal for hours that someone else worked— make an issue out of that yep the other thing you want to watch out for is when you're looking at the overtime sheets nobody offers an hour and three minutes of overtime and nobody offers two hours and 17 minutes of overtime so anytime you're looking at refusals they should normally take you up to a standard number like one hour two hours um, it could be an hour and a half obviously but it shouldn't be you know that you never see refusals on a sheet. If you're seeing a sheet and everybody seems as though they're just working whatever they want, that's probably something you want to bring to the attention of your steward. You want to make sure that, you know, a person is not 
being the given the benefit of not being charged a refusal over a long period of time, and that artificially lowers their number. Right. The rules are the rules, right? Yep. If you refuse overtime, you get charged. Yep. Um, and, and and to that point, Jason, if you see a sheet that doesn't have any V's on it, the vacation code, you should question that as well because people take vacation days. So if you're seeing that kind of thing where no one is getting a V code, um, that's an indicator that the supervisor might be not, uh, you know, not filling out the sheets properly. Yeah, and same thing would go for the I code as well. And we're going to get more into these codes in later episodes. So there's obviously a ton of overtime language. We're just going to start, you know, getting into this a little bit more every week and help you through it. Um, in the event that uh, there's overtime to be offered, if practicable, the employee with the least amount of overtime should be offered. So that's not always going to be the case. Yeah, We have a 24-hour buffer to keep people um, in check with one another, but it, it's good practice to have the lowest uh, employee selected. It's going to help the company minimize their disparities, and it's definitely the fairest way to go. Um, so every time you look at the sheet, you're also going to see that employees are grouped by job code and labor grade within the overtime area. So there's different overtime areas. It doesn't always mirror the department. Um, you want to definitely double check with your steward to get a better idea of what that overtime area is. But you'll see all the other people that you're tracked with are within the job code. That's the, the group that you're kept with that has to be kept within 24 hours of each other. Um, in the event that overtime comes up in an involves priority or emergency work or requires a special skill, any resulting disparity should be offset as soon as practicable. So there's going to be cases, like we said, with that 24-hour buffer where the company needs a certain guy to, or girl to come in because they need that particular job done, and that's fine, but they need to try and get that disparity offset as soon as practicable. And they also need to try and make sure that everybody is qualified to perform that work within the job code. In order to be scheduled to work the overtime, the employee has to be fully qualified to perform the work. Um, so if you're not qualified, obviously, they're not on the hook to bring you in. And, you know, we've had recent cases of the not qualified code being used. Maybe we'll go more into that in a later episode. But it's important to remember that just because you're a new hire on your 90 days, that doesn't mean that you're not qualified to work. We've had cases where employees come in, they're performing, you know, a high level of work. They're able to make the company money, and it's profitable for them to be there. They should be offered. That's the determination that should be made on a case-by-case -case basis. And if you feel like you're qualified and you're not being given the opportunity, you definitely want to call for a steward. A absolutely. So keep that in mind. Let's reiterate that. You're qualified when you're qualified. There is no set time frame for you to be qualified to do your job. Um if if you're working for a supervisor or a manager who who has a policy that says you don't get overtime in, while you're a probationary employee, that's just flat out wrong. Yeah. Okay, that that policy is not supported by any contract language, and you should question that. Yeah, and another thing is when an employee is promoted, transferred, uh, permanently moved, they're averaged into the group. Um, and that's a time where you want to check in with your steward, too, and just let them know, hey, I was given a promotion. I just want to double check that I wasn't owed a disparity prior to leaving my old group. And that's something that we don't mind, you know, double checking for you. And it should happen. Um, with that, we're going to leave that. I think that's probably enough for everybody to digest for one episode. For sure. We'll get more into yeah. the specific codes next time. And uh, 
talk a little bit more about the military leave and how that applies. Yep. So to be continued, uh, make sure you're listening next week and, um, and, and we'll finish that topic up. Um, but let's move on to what we wanted to talk about today, which is kind of the future of the labor movement, right? The labor movement um, has seen a steady decline over the last several decades. Yeah. Um, and when I say a decline, I mean a decline in, in actual membership numbers, right? Our numbers have gone down. As much as we've talked about the great things that are happening within the labor movement, um, like organizing drives and, and um, you know, play at places like Amazon and Starbucks, we continue to struggle with overall numbers, e- even though, you know, we, we talk to Vinny every week and, and Vinny yeah. tells us, you know, who who's out there striking and who's who's organizing new members. And, and that's awesome. But it's not translating into an overall increase in union membership uh, right now. What, what do our numbers look like right now? Union membership across the country is about 10.3 percent, and it declined about half a percent last year. Yeah, that's that's not great, right? Um, we actually last year felt like a good year for us, and um, we actually saw a decline of 241,000 members. Our membership went down by a quarter of a million people. That's not good. No, not um, at all. And, and and we need to do things to fix that, right? So at the end of last year, there were 14 million union members in the United States. That When when you look at our population, that's not a lot. No, that's not a lot. No, And that's all union members. That's we're, Just to be clear, we're not talking about Teamsters. It's yeah. about 1.3 to 1.4 million. So that's all union members in, in the United States. Right, including, you know, teachers and, and you know, uh, those public or those private sector, not sorry, those public sector unions. Yeah. Um, so maybe the first question we need to answer is why are we so concerned with those numbers? Right. Why don't we just um, worry about taking care of the members that we have? Right. And and be happy with that because we're we're not for profit organizations. So why do we care about how big we are, right? We're n- it's not like we're looking to make boatloads of money like like corporate America. We just want to represent people who want to be represented, right? Yes. So why do we care? Why do we c- care about those numbers? Because when the ships rise for unionized workers, all workers benefit from that. Yeah, and I think the converse of that is that when you allow union membership to continue to decline and we set the standards that help you know, bring up benefits and bring up working conditions, that allows benefits and conditions to erode further. Exactly. And we're seeing that in a lot of places. Yeah. yeah. So the, the bottom line is this. And look, I, I know that there's a lot of talk out there, anti-union talk, right, that, that, that we're thugs and we're criminals. And, and, and unfortunately, the, the folks who say that stuff can point to factual information that supports their argument, right? There are bad actors out there. There are bad actors in our movement. But there's bad actors in everywhere. Of course. Of course there are. So so that's why we want to talk about it, right? Because when you talk about unionism, unionism at its core is about caring about people, right? Is about fighting for 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 people's rights and for, you know, Fight, fighting for people to elevate their stature in in the country in the world, right? 
Yeah, exactly. There's good and bad with everything, but I mean, I think those people more so than looking at the the negative aspects that are sprinkled into anybody's history. Those people need to look in the mirror too, because you define your union by your participation, by you know the active role that you take or do not take. And a lot of people that would express all these concerns are people that wouldn't donate a minute of their time or a minute of their effort or, you know, stand up for their coworker if it was necessary. Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, you bring up a really good point, Jason. I think the one thing that we have to work hardest at in in fighting to make people understand what we're all about is is that misconception, right? The misconception that. The union is a third party. The union is not a third party. And the the union, and I'm doing the air quotes. People yeah. can't see me, but I'm doing the air quotes. The 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 union is not gonna do anything to you as a as a worker who's trying to be organized. The union's gonna do things for you, and the union is you. Exactly. Right? You we are asking you to band together with your coworkers to form a union and to to make up your rules, right? We want the the union is gonna ask you what you want. Yeah. So they're not doing anything to you. And all of those things that businesses say to to make us look bad, it, it's all a lie, right? The union's going to do this. They're going to take your money, and you're not going to get anything for it. It's just – it's a lie. The union is you. So we want we want to make sure people understand yes. that, right? Yeah. My favorite that we're seeing with especially Amazon right now is they're going to they're gonna ruin our ability to communicate as one team. You know, it's what we do. Any, yeah, yeah. Anybody in a union shop knows you still have the ability to go up and talk to your foreman, go talk to your manager. You know, you don't have to have representation if you don't want it. Yeah, exactly. And listen, but but with a union, you do have representation and it's it's in a process that's protected and, by the law. And what Amazon wants is for its workers to not have a say on their shop floor, and that's what it is. A- absolutely. I've talked about it before. Amazon has this, you know, they talk about their policy. Oh, we have an open-door policy where you can go and make an appointment with your manager and, and voice your concerns to, about your workplace. To and, rat on yourself well, or your coworkers. Exactly. That whole process is to identify you as a dissenter. Right. So that they can put a target on your back when you walk out the door and make sure that that you don't you don't make it very long and fire you for something stupid. Exactly. So um, maybe we're getting off topic. But listen, we're here to talk about what our future looks like. Right. Because we do care about people. We do care about workers and we want to organize as many workers as possible. Not to not to bring dues money in, but to represent them, to make sure that their lives get better. In the face of, quite frankly, what is a corporate America that's very well organized and 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 organized against us. Yes. Yeah. We've said it in the past, especially in cases like Amazon, you don't have the luxury of not organizing them because it's going to erode the benefits of all other industries. They're in logistics. They're in sales for obviously all sorts of products. There's no way to avoid the fact that if you do not organize their workers, you're going to feel it you know, later on when, yeah, when they have the impact. Yeah. They will, like you said, they set the standard and they'll drive that standard downward. So what does our future look like? How do we sustain or, or even grow our numbers? Um, and, and most importantly, what are the issues that we're facing today that threaten us? The first one that comes to my mind is the war on workers. That's what we call it. I have signs all over my office, um, you know, the stop the war on workers. 
Um, there is and, and has been for decades a war being waged on workers and, and on workers' ability to form and join a union in order to have a voice in their workplace. Yep. Um, and, and this war, quite frankly, is being perpetuated by big business. Yep. It's funded by big business. It's funded by their bosses um, and their supporters who have deep pockets and, and who have the resources to have their message heard, right? They have more resources and more money than we do, right? They have an, it's easier for them to wage this war than it is for us to defend against it. So, um, so how do we do that? Organizing our coworkers, even when you're already in a union. Yeah, and and that's a good point, Vinny. And internal organization is a really important thing for unions to understand, right? Yeah, we're organized, um, but we know it here, right? Local 1150 is a big union. Yeah, and and there are there are lots of great active union members, um, and then there are those who are not. Right. Who who are not great union members. And when I say they're not great union members, I don't mean, you know, you don't come to a meeting and you don't get involved. I mean, um, well, let's be frank. Right. You're you're ratting out your coworkers. Yep. You're, you're not you're not supporting your coworkers. You're not advancing um, our cause. Yeah. You're perpetuating rumors on the shop floor that aren't true. Yeah, that's that's bad stuff, right? That doesn't help us. It doesn't yeah, help you as an individual. If you want to think as an individual, that kind of thing is not helping you as an individual at all. Yeah. The other one I'll point out is people that just blatantly walk by and say nothing about, you know, contract violations. You see a foreman that's, you know, performing work on an aircraft. You got to call for a steward. Yep. That's not a choice. You have to do it. Yep. Another thing is not backing up your coworkers when they have a steward for contract violation and you saw the violation and just, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to be involved in this. Yep. Yeah. And, and remember, you know, that's a good point, Vin, because nobody, uh, not, not anybody intelligent, goes down to the <laughs> shop floor and says, let me go bother every hourly person today. So typically, you know, you'll see that, you know, one guy gets annoyed by a, a foreman today. The next guy, the foreman's annoying somebody yep. else. Well, if you don't speak up for your coworker, then, you know, they don't have the support they need. You need to be a witness for that guy. And you need to make sure that the foreman's aware, you know, there's other ears in the area. You can't just have a free for all. Exactly. And, and, and listen, this advances our cause, right? Doing things like that shows solidarity and it, it does keep the employer at bay. Right. It makes sure that that they're not going to do that stuff anymore. Right. They're not going to be really inclined to do that stuff if they know they're going to they're going to encounter resistance every time they do. Right. Yep. Sticking together is what it's all about. That's what unions are. A absolutely. You know, we didn't talk about it. I, I didn't bring it up before, but I want to emphasize what Steve said before. When you're on the card, when you make a steward request, you're protected. Um, that is the big benefit to a union. You might be someone who thinks, you know, I'm a well-spoken person. I can handle myself and yeah. I'll say what I need to say to the foreman or I'll give them a piece of my mind. Well, do yourself a favor, raise your hand, call for a steward, use the fact that you paid your dues and do it in a protected fashion. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. Uh, it's really about you, you can't go it you can't go it alone and if you say the wrong thing it could get you in trouble at bare minimum your steward is going to have you know more knowledge of other cases of the same thing going on in your area and that's important for just cause that's important for you know having a fair and equitable environment yep 
So really good point, Vinny, right? Internal organizing. Um, you, you know, back to back to this, the, the message of the war on workers, right? They the problem with the war that they're waging on us is that it's chock full of lies. Right. Yes, exactly. All, all of the things they talk about are are untrue. And generally speaking, they make claims that unions are bad for business. And and that's not true. Right. They they believe it because, you know, unions drive increases in wages and benefits and, and provide workers with a voice um, to affect change in their workplace. And, and and they say that's bad. Right. They don't want change based on workers needs. They want they want to create their own change. Right. Yes, they, exactly. They, business wants control. They want control over everything. And, and I guess you can understand that. Right. Um but to say that unions are bad for business is just n- not true. It's just it's just a lie because increased wages and benefits and having a voice on the shop floor proves when workers are happy, they're more productive, which makes for a better business. And there's actually proof out there, right? Studies have been done that that actually prove that yes. unionized businesses are more productive. There have been productivity studies that bear this out, right? That time and time again, the, these studies have concluded that unionized companies are among the most productive companies in the country. Yeah, as a steward, you're not just fighting for your member, you're mediating on behalf of the member. Yes. You're trying to work towards a solution and you're allowing a conversation to take place in a union environment that probably wouldn't take place in a non-union shop. Um, so that person in a non-union shop is going to take that home they're going to fester over it. They're going to be annoyed over it. And for months and months and months, they're probably going to have it eaten away at them. Whereas in this you know, environment, you can go in, call for a steward, you're protected, you get it off your chest, and hopefully you fix the issue. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and listen, that's a relinquishing of control uh, on the company's part. They, that's what they don't like. You know, we're, we're talking about this. They don't like two things, higher wages and costly benefits and losing control. Yes. Losing ultimate control. And, and listen, businesses still, they control it, right? The business still controls the business. Yeah, they exactly. still run the business. But those day-to-day, um, you know, decisions that, that that have to be made sometimes, the union does have a little bit of a say in it through a grievance procedure, right? Yes. Through that protected process. And they don't like that. We see examples of that every day as stewards, right? Yes. We see how the company, you know, they they take on a fighting posture when we question their decisions. Yeah, I can't even imagine how many times they would just tell you to shut up and go back yeah. to work if, if you weren't legally required to bargain. Let's face it, a workplace shouldn't be a complete dictatorship. The workers should have some say over what goes on. Yeah. So um, this war, it's fought in different ways, right? And and obviously at different levels of intensity, depending on where you are. Uh, we, we talk a lot about what's happening at Starbucks and, you know, the anti-union tactics that that company uses to stave off organizing campaigns now that are popping up all over the country. Um, you know, things like email and, and texts to their, to their workers, um, signs all over the workplace, captive audience meetings, you know, all of these things are tactics that, that companies use. They use their, their money and their resources. The, you know, the text and email stuff really bugs me because they use company records 
and they they take your phone number and they send you a, a text message in the middle of the night yeah. telling you to not to you know to vote against the union. Basically, beat you over the head with it. Now relentlessly. they're they're bombarding them now with Facebook and Instagram ads. So yeah. you know everybody always cringes when you say, "Oh, my phone's listening to me." And now it's never been more in your face, even if you're on break or at home exactly. and you're scrolling through Instagram. There yeah. it is. You kind of, I guess, they should expect it in the workplace. Um, but even, you know, these folks walk into the cafeteria on the job or or walk up to the urinal and, you know, you're staring at a poster that says, you know, here's why you should vote against the union. You, you, you can't even use the bathroom without being bombarded with this stuff. So... You know, they're using all these tactics, um, you know, but but Starbucks, <laughs> Starbucks, as bad as we say they are, they're actually not even taking it to the level that some other companies. No, do. I agree. You know, I love to talk about Walmart. I'm a I'm a Walmart hater. And Me too. and Walmart, they they take it to the ultimate level, in my opinion. Yes. They have actually closed entire stores because of an organizing drive. Yep. Um, I recall one, um, it, it was several years ago now, I believe it was up in Alaska that they had a, a Walmart store where four or five meat cutters voted to join a union. Four or five people. And they, they went voted vegan. to join a union. They closed the entire store. <laughs> they And they all went vegan. They, all, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they right? voted to go vegan. <laughs> but, but they... Four people joined a union, and they closed an entire store. That's they insane. They put hundreds of people out of work to avoid four people joining a union. Yeah, and you can tell that wasn't just about that store. You know, they'll burn the cost of that store to prevent, you know, what they view as a cancer spreading throughout their entire Exactly, exactly. and that's my point. This is not—it's not about money, yeah. right? They will spend— 10 times the money that it would cost them to 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 have a union in their store they will spend 10 times that amount of money to to avoid it yep so that they can maintain full control now for 49 straight years uh walmart has given investors dividends and they pay their ceo 22.6 million dollars so insane but then you look at the fact that uh, Walmart workers are the biggest recipients of food stamps and Medicare in most states. So yeah. a company that made $13.7 billion in annual profit, uh, they have $573 billion in revenue. They're paying out their investors. They're paying their CEO. But we're paying for yeah. their benefits. We're paying for their food stamps. Yep. In the form of our taxes. Yeah. We're subsidizing their crummy wages and their crummy benefits. Yeah. And, and I say this all the time, and if you don't believe me, my suggestion is go apply for a job at Walmart and, and get the job and go through the onboarding process. Then you can quit, right? But if you don't believe what I've been saying for years about Walmart, go through the process. Part of Walmart's onboarding process of new employees is to provide information to their new employees on how to get public assistance and food stamps. Oh yeah. It's part of their onboarding process. Right. So they know systemically, they know how crappy those jobs yep. are and they tell their employees how to get more money. Yeah. How about you ever hear of the employee uh, organized food drives? for certain members with oh, low God. hours. No. So they actually, you know, within stores, try and employees try to help each other. Um, 
probably be more effective forming a union. But exactly. They're literally doing collections, just trying to get by for you know basic needs. Yeah, it, it's hideous. And and listen, these companies know, right? This is part of the war, right? All of this is part of the war on workers. Um, and and nobody wages that war better than Walmart. You um, think about people being food insecure in a a superstore filled with food. Yes. Where, uh, I'm an employee, right. I'm an employee of, first of all, the largest employer in the country who sells food on a daily basis and you're food insecure. It's, I guess that's the definition of insanity. Um, And these companies are not just fighting this war um, in the public arena. They're not fighting it against their own employees but they're they're fighting it in the political arena too and they're all crying poor at the same time <laughs> yeah That's which is the best insane way. yeah they're, when you look at these big companies and you look at their profits it's yeah. just insane and what I, they pay their ceos it's well they crazy. need that they need that extra money so that they can you know that they can spend Buy millions stock. electing politicians exactly. who are going to support exactly. their anti-union uh you know support anti-union legislation like right to work and and you know other legislation like that that makes it harder for for those workers that they employ to organize and join the union yeah and all they do is buy back stock which you know all they're all they're concerned with is driving up the stock price because a lot of their incentives are tied to the stock price yep and to stop the pro act things that are going to further uh and make it easier for people to unionize yeah um yeah, message to Joe Biden. When you're done with Ukraine, can you pass the PRO Act, please? Yes, I agree. Um, so so what else is threatening us? Uh, you know, when I did the research for this episode, did a couple of Google searches and came up with, I, I think the biggest, the number one answer I came up with on Google was automation. Automation is killing unions. And, and, and I shouldn't even say it's killing unions. It's killing workers. Yeah. Right? Um, it, it's the nemesis of the 21st century worker, right? Mm-hmm. I think. So we're in the heart of the digital age, right? And automation, artificial intelligence um, will replace human workers as we move forward. And it's hidden all industries. I mean, even legal industries are using AI, I think accounting industries. So yeah. it's not just, you know, robotics and manufacturing no no we have to expand our view of of what automation is right and i think you have to think about how it transforms all workers you know the industry for all workers because as you get rid of some jobs in some places it's going to shuffle people around and you know change the landscape yeah um but you know unfortunately the pandemic accelerated this right during the pandemic companies just they accelerated their efforts to automate jobs. They just did. Um, so, you know, we talk about people who didn't want to go back to work after the pandemic. Well, we're still in the pandemic, I guess. But, uh, you know, when jobs started opening up again, you know, we had the great resignation, right? People yeah. were not going back to work. But, you know, hidden in those numbers are quite frankly, jobs that that were no longer available because they had automated them. You know, these companies had taken advantage of their workers not being there, and they they attempted and sometimes successfully automated those jobs. So it's a big problem for us. Uh, You know, we and we can't, quite frankly, fight that progress. We have to adapt. 
there's no fighting automation. We cannot stop it. No, you can't swim against that tide. No, (laughs) it's not possible. Um, nor, Nor do I think we should even attempt to try to fight automation, right? There are good things about automation. There are bad things about it too, but there are good things about it, right? It does, it does provide companies with, um, with a lot of benefits. Yeah, you'd, I think you'd need to try and find ways that the, freeing up that person in that role, you know, allows them to fill another role. Exactly, and that's where we have to concentrate our efforts, right? Um, as as workers seek other work we need to be prepared to organize those industries. Absolutely. That's where we have to go. We have to find opportunities that maybe we never, we never considered before, right? Um, it's not always easy. The, the, the definition of a worker um, and an employer, quite frankly, they change. They're evolving. Um, the emergence of this gig economy is really a good example of that, right? Um, When you talk about the gig economy, you talk about, um, you know, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, people like that. Instacart. Instacart, right. Um, Amazon's entire delivery service. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How many full-time workers do they have delivering packages? They don't. Right. You could deliver Amazon packages on the weekends if you want. Probably later today if I ask them. Exactly. (laughs) You have a car? Yep. Is it full of gas? Yep. Okay. You're an Amazon driver. I mean, so so we have to find a way to organize those workers because that's the future, right? The, these companies have found creative ways to save money and and do things quicker, and we have to be just as creative, and we have to find ways to organize those workers. Yes, we do. It's not easy, right, because the employer, the definition of employer is a little bit foggy, right? So so how do we organize those workers? I don't know the answer sitting here, but that's the question that, you know, we need to ask when, when our new general president, Sean O'Brien, convenes his executive board at the international level. Those, I think, are the questions that, that he has to be asking. How do we organize workers like that? How do we find new workers to organize? Yeah, and I think they are asking those questions. I do, too. If you guys watched on uh, Tuesday of last week, they were all sworn in. Rocco was down there with them, sworn in. Yep. So we now have our new executive board at the IBT, and they went straight from being sworn in into an executive session to start start working. Um, Does anybody know what Sean O'Brien's first words were after he took the oath? Let's get to work. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he's ready to, you know, he's hitting the floor running. And um, and I think, like you said, I think he is asking those questions. And I'm thrilled that he is because we need to do that. Right. And not not for our numbers. Again, I want to go back to what we first started talking about. There's no reason for us to care about our numbers other than to care about as many workers as we can help. Absolutely. Right? That's why we want to organize people, not to not to pull in dues money. The dues money goes right back to the members. Yeah. So we want we want to organize Lyft drivers and Uber drivers and and these gig Amazon drivers because we want to help them, you know, find a better life. We want to help them raise their stature. Yeah. And, you know, if we're being honest, the self-serving aspect of it isn't to collect dues money. It's to prevent a supply. When you think about it in terms of supply and demand, if there's a supply of workers willing to do a job at a low wage, 
that prevents everybody's wages from rising. Yeah, absolutely. So if we can teach those people what their work and what their labor are worth and get them to fight for that, it's going to make sure that everybody is able to keep their benefits and probably progress their benefits and wages. Yep. And listen, there is a way to organize, let's call them self-employed workers. There is a way. Um, the music industry has been doing it for a really long time, right? The, uh, you can join a musician's union. You can be a gig musician and join the union. And, and that helps you get work. So um, there is a way. I don't know if they're doing it perfectly, but they're doing it. And they have been doing it for a really long time. So um, the idea of, of organizing gig workers is not a new one. But it's a bigger one, right? Yeah. There, you know, we're not just talking about thousands; we're talking about millions now. So, um, you know, maybe the strategy is different, but it's what we need to do. Um, we just, you know, we just have to consider every possibility, right? So, I think globalization is an issue as well. Um, you know, we live in a global community now. The world has gotten much, much smaller. Yeah, and there since the '80s, we've really pushed the envelope as far as you know what a global economy looks like, and we're in it now. You know, we are full on in a global economy. So the the push towards that global economy in the '80s, it, it, that it's not a coincidence that that's when union membership began to decline. Right, our highest numbers were in the '80s. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. Vin, you're making a face. What What do you got? I was going to say the downturn of union started with the busting of the PACO union in the 1980s. Well, maybe, yeah. and By it, a certain president. Yeah. And, and, and I don't disagree with you. I don't – that was certainly part of the catalyst, right? Yeah. But it coincided with uh, this real push towards a global economy. And the fact of the matter is that – we outsourced a ton of jobs. Uh, absolutely. Right? And have been ever since then. So, um, you know, globalization is certainly a threat to unions for the simple reason that, you know, we're we're matriculating jobs overseas. Yeah. Right? We're losing some good jobs to to overseas. A lot of, a lot of good jobs yeah. to overseas. Um, so before that, we essentially made what we needed. Right. And and which we should go back to. But yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. But listen, there are advantages to a global economy. Uh, and I don't yeah, think you I can argue you. that. Yeah, there are. But but offshoring of good jobs is not one of those advantages. No, it's not. Um, you know what I think? And, and I know. Listen, I, I tend to have grand ideas sometimes that that people think can never be done. Um, someday talk to me about my politics and I'll tell you about my <laughs> politics. Um, you know, I'm a believer in abolishing the two party system, which everybody tells me is, me is something that will never happen, but I'm still an advocate of it. Um, so when it comes to, you know, globalization, I'm an advocate of global unions. And I don't know if that's possible, but I do know that, you know, in France, they do something very similar to that. It's not a global union, but it's a national union. They have, they have laws over there that allow the unions to work in concert, right? We have, we have laws that, that disallow 
um, sympathy strikes. Right. Yeah, so that's right. So that's right. I I can't go on strike. Local 1150 can't go on strike because um, the construction workers down the street are on strike. We can't do that. In France, you can. Right. Oh, that's they, awesome. They so they <laughs> you know when the railroad workers go on strike, so do the truck drivers. So do the you know the restaurant workers. They shut that country down when somebody goes on strike. Boy, that would be good to happen here. Well, and yeah. and, and you know so we have to look at that. And and think of how do how can we organize workers across borders, because if we can do that and the Teamsters organize workers in Canada. Yeah. Right? So the right. Teamsters have have crossed the border, the northern border into Canada. How do we do how do we cross the ocean? How do we go to Europe? How do we you know, how do we go to South America? And I think if we're able to do that, then we're able to um Try sort of resolve one of our problems, which is globalization. Yeah. Yeah. If we can reach across those borders and and try to organize those jobs that just left the United States for a cheaper economy, um, you know, m- maybe we can make some headway. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think the Teamsters are going to go organize you know ten million jobs in Europe. No. Um, but there's strong existing unions in Europe, and I think it's the collaboration between unions. And the willingness to support other unions, even when you don't have potential members to organize that are going to end up paying you dues, yep. you still have to take the time to help uplift other workers. Absolutely, because that's what you know promotes uh, well-being for everybody. Yeah, and and I agree with you that you know the Teamsters aren't going to aren't going to do that, but you know we crossed the northern border. And we organize workers in Canada. Why can't we cross the southern border and organize workers in Mexico? I agree. Because let's face it, Mexico is a big problem for unions. Yes. Right? That's where most of our jobs are going. Yeah, we're going to South America um, and Africa even. But, you know, essentially the jobs that we worry about are going south into Mexico. And if we can organize workers in Mexico like we do in Canada— I think that goes a long way. If, if I'm to not us mistaken, out. the uh, replacement for NAFTA, the USMCA, has empowered Mexican workers to unionize and making it easier for them. That's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely started. So, what can we do? Right, we have all these issues um, that we're facing. What can we do? Uh, and, and I think it's a perfect time to talk about this because. Again, the the Sean O'Brien administration was just sworn in at at the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, and and Sean ran and won on a campaign of a more militant union. Yes. He used the word strike throughout his campaign, right? And and I know that people are afraid of that word. People, workers are afraid of striking, right? It's scary. Um, but but we need to use that weapon, right? Yes, we I do. Preach it all the time. It is our only weapon to withhold our labor. Is our only weapon against an unfair employer, and we need to be willing to use it. Yep. Yes, we need to be respectful of the damage that it can do, but we need to use that weapon. So we need to strike when it's appropriate. Um, you know, strikes, especially public strikes, they advertise the power that we have. Yeah. When we win a strike, we send a message to, to everybody, to all the workers out there who are maybe even thinking about joining a union, that we send the message that unions work, 
right? When we win a strike, that message is sent loud and clear. Yes, it is. You better believe it. It's not a coincidence that this Starbucks thing is happening in the United States right after um, John Deere yeah. and, um, uh, you know, what was what were the Kellogg's? Yes, right? Kellogg's. The, these these companies that went on strike, Frito Lay. Yeah. Um, all of these these big public strikes happened, and right after that, the Starbucks workers said, "Yeah, me too." It's yeah. the new Me Too movie. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all striking over the same reasons. Exactly. It doesn't matter yeah. what company it is. It's all about stock buybacks, extended working hours, poor working conditions, yep. low yes. wages, and shitty benefits. Yep. yep. So. Um, you know, our success as established unions, our success sends the message to those workers that your voice is important. It should be heard. And 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 quite frankly, it can make change. Right. So um, we can also be more politically active. I don't know if the Teamsters could possibly be more politically active than they already are. Yeah. Teamsters are a really politically active union. Um, uh, but, you know, we need to be more politically active, I think. Personally, we need to get more politically active on the local level. I agree. Um, we're really good at the national stuff, yeah. right? But I, I don't think we're great at the at the local stuff. Yeah, we do need to get more active locally. Yeah, and so, I think it's important to look at politics from the lens of you know what's going to put food on my plate, what's going to support my family. Yep. You might we're never going to always agree a hundred percent with the true. politicians that we have to support. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, we have to pick the one that's going to benefit us most. Yeah. yeah. Um, so political action, I think is really important. Um, I just want to throw something out there, especially on the local level here in Connecticut before the state legislature, uh, there's a bill that would, I don't know if it out, uh, would completely ban, but it's going to put a hurting on captive audience meetings where these companies force people into a room to basically bombard them with anti-union rhetoric until they, you know, submit to voting against the union. So. Yeah, and 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 that's awesome that Connecticut's doing that, and I think I think the federal government should be looking at that. Well, the the Pro Act does that, right? Yes. So the yes, it the does. Pro Act would would outlaw those kinds of meetings as well. So again, did I mention uh, President Biden? Can you please pass the Pro Act? Um, <laughs> uh, please. So, but that's what, listen, that's what we have to put our resources into, right? We have to put money into local politics to get that kind of stuff done. Yes. Right? So, so let's do that. Um, so that's it, right? We're, we, we kind of, you know, put some thoughts into people's heads, I hope, um, about what our future looks like and how we can change our future because we can. Um, so talk to your union leadership, please. That's how unions work. Talk to your union leadership about what your ideas are uh, as to how we can, how we can advance the labor movement. And, and that stuff kind of goes up the ladder, right? And it eventually lands on Sean O'Brien's desk. Yes. Yep. But you can never strike with a weak membership. So you got to right. remember to always be ready to strike. And if you're not Agreed. ready, then the threat isn't real. Yes. So I say if you're not ready, get ready. You know, we're blessed that we work in a, a place where people have 30, 40, 45 year careers. Uh, we have people I looked at the seniority list the other day that started in the late 70s. So you look at you look back at the strike. I wasn't here then, but in 2006, you guys were out for what six weeks. Yep. So I don't mean to minimize how the pain that we feel during a strike, but six weeks out of a 45 year career is not worth being a scab for life. Uh, I, I agree. I, 
I, I can tell you that 100%. Listen, the, the strike was painful in the moment, right? I'm not going to lie. I don't want to sugarcoat anything. The, the strike was painful. Um, my wife wasn't working at the time. Uh, it, we, we were in a, a single-family home with two kids and um, bills to pay, and I, I didn't earn a paycheck for six weeks, and that was painful. But, but to your point, Jason— I don't, I'm not feeling that pain today, right? We're what, 16 years past? Yeah. And, yeah, something like and that. I, I don't remember that at all, yeah. right? You can always get through a temporary hard time. Yeah. 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 No question about what it. What you can't get through is a lifetime of being underpaid because you're not willing to stand up for yourself. Uh, That's t- right. I totally agree. And, and listen, the, the stuff that we should be striking over, if we don't strike over it and we don't overcome it, then it becomes habit for the company, right? They they so they take a piece, they take a chunk of flesh this time, and if we don't fight it, they take another chunk next time, and that chunk's bigger. So, yeah. um, you know, it is definitely a domino effect. All right. So, what do we got for upcoming events? We we always have a membership meeting coming up. When is the next membership meeting? April twentieth. April twentieth. Yeah. Um, we got a food truck, Jason. Yeah, we always have a food truck. We'll keep you well fed. Probably going to be micro again. Come have a burger off the micro truck. It, they are awesome. Yeah, the micro truck is amazing. Uh, I I can't say enough about it. It's yeah, amazing. Same here. It really. I'm not just saying that to get people down here. It's amazing. Yeah. Like I, th- I look. I the, at, at the at the March membership meeting. I can tell you this story. I I made a lunch on Wednesday morning. And and I said to my wife, oh, my God, I, I can't take this lunch to work today. She's like, why not? You just made your lunch. It's, it's a great lunch. And I'm like, yeah, but the micro truck's going to be at the hall and I'm eating the micro truck. So and, and that's a true story. We had a laugh about it because um, I, I'm 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 not going to eat a bagged lunch when I can have the, the micro truck. It's pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, I think they're going to switch up the menu a little bit this month, maybe come up with a few more ideas. So it should be good. Definitely cool. come down, check it out. And make sure, you know, bring a new member, get sworn in, be, you know, check out the Union Hall, see what it's all about. We have merchandise for sale. It's a good yep. place to come get your questions asked and yep. hear about what's going on with the new contract. Always. What else we got? So we also have the TVC Golf Scramble coming up uh, May 20th at Orono Country Club. Registrations are now live. Uh, you can find information right within our app. There's a button on the homepage. Uh, we're working on possibly doing some sort of electronic registration. I'm not sure if that's going to be live, uh, but please, you know, get out, get involved, offer, you know, your time. It's for the, uh, veterans caucus, obviously. So it's for a great cause and they can always use help. So if you're willing to, you know, donate your time by all means contact, uh, Mike Rodriguez or Terry Pasito or one of the guys in the group. Yeah. Um, and we talked all about that last week, right? Or, or two weeks ago um, about volunteering our time and getting involved. And that's, that's a great point, Jason. For anybody that hasn't gone, that's a great event. So you can buy a foursome and play for the day. Um, It starts off with a breakfast and you end up going out, you play, you know, around and then you come back in, you have a nice dinner. There's a bunch of raffles, uh, drinks are flowing. And it's on a Friday. So you get to take the day off of work too and do all this fun stuff. So take a vacation day, grab a, grab your clubs, and come on down, or if you don't, if you don't play golf, like Jason said, volunteer your time. It's just as fun if you're a volunteer, right? We're not working you like dogs. Um, it's it's a fun time. Yeah, and this money supports veterans throughout the year. They do a lot of great work in the community. Yep. They help build homes for veterans. They've built ramps to help people get into their their houses for injured veterans. 
they're constantly going down to Walter Reed, donating gift cards. So really, this right. is a great cause, and it's something that was founded here in our local. Uh, this is, you know, chapter one of the TVC. They yep. created it. So yep. awesome. So who's on strike, Vinny? What's going on out there in the in the the labor world? So Walt Disney Company workers walk off the job. So LGBTQ workers and their allies at Walt Disney Company walk off the job in protest to the Florida's "Don't Say Gay" bill. They're uh, they're asking the company to stop their apathy to uh, to this this type of stuff and to make sure that and asking them to stop giving uh, any kind of campaign donations to politicians that are backing uh, a bill like this. Yeah, really important, you know, that the workers are sending a message there at Disney to their to their employer because uh, Walt Disney World, I I believe, is by far the largest employer in the state of Florida. So um, and if they're not the largest, they're the most influential. Yes, absolutely. They're they're telling their their employer to speak up. and, And that's good. Workers need to do that. And we have uh, Chevron workers in California go on strike. Uh, they're represented by the United uh, Steel Workers, and they failed to reach a contract with the company. More than 500 workers at the refinery that produce gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, and lubricating oils in the San Francisco Bay Area have gone on strike. And uh, they're citing things like working long hours and not, not being paid enough to live in the San Francisco Bay Area. One of the most expensive yeah. places in the country to live. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, the company's coming back, try, you know, trying to say, well, this might force gas prices to $6 a gallon in California. Uh, they're already there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, too late. And uh, we, we haven't talked about this one yet. This, this strike's been going on for about six, uh, six weeks, but I think we should talk about it because it's right in our own backyard. Strike at Cummins, and there, there's about there's a few uh, locations: Dedham, Massachusetts, Scarborough, Maine, and Concord, New Hampshire. The strike started on February 12th, and again, the workers are they're they're striking for pay. Uh, the company is trying to slip in pay for performance policies instead of guaranteed wage language, and that's what they're standing up against. And the big thing here is the unity of these workers. They voted a strike by 100 percent. That's wow. awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. How I, big is that union? Do you know? Well, I believe it's all together. It's 30 workers. Okay. But, um, still a hundred percent of, of 30 people. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure we could get that in any 30 member segment of local 1150. Getting a hundred percent of anything's a challenge. Yeah. Yes. It's, that's not easy. That's, that's unity. You know, I think the other one we forgot is public sector looking at all the teacher strikes across the country. Yep. Over the past few weeks, teachers have gone on strike in Sacramento, California, nice. uh, Minneapolis, Sonoma County, California, some in uh, Riverdale, Illinois, Provisio, Illinois. So all over teachers are starting to walk out. You know, talk about an industry yeah. that's, that's um, had to make incredible changes over the last couple of years. Right. I have a lot of teachers in my family, including my daughter. Um, And and it's such a difficult job right now. It's always a difficult job. But um, the pandemic has turned that industry on its head. And the the adapting that teachers have to do individually just to get their jobs done, just to get the kids engaged um, is is really unbelievable. Um, the, The stories to me are sad. And um, and and for municipalities to 
to stick it to them while they're doing that is disgusting to yeah. me. You know, as a parent now, you you think about these are the people that are helping raise our kids. Right. And you want to, you know, have good, qualified, you know, smart people that are exactly well supported. And you can't do that for $15 an hour? Yeah, I guess not. Nope. No, I guess not. Um, anything else, Vinny? That's it right now. Okay. So every episode, we end with a labor quote. I have a few. It's from a, a one of the most uh, influ- influential labor activists of the 20th, 20th century. Her name was Dolores Huerta. She was a co-founder of the United Farm Workers Association. So was she a friend of Chavez? Yes. Uh, she was a co-founder of the Stockton chapter of the Community Service Organization. I believe that's where she, she uh, met Cesar Chavez. With that's how, and I believe that's how she found uh, founded the United Farm Workers Union. Okay, what did she say? Every moment is an organizing opportunity. Every person is a potential activist. Every minute is a chance to change the world. Awesome, that really goes hand in hand with what we talked about yeah. today, right? And I had okay, I got a couple more. I think organized labor is a necessary part of uh, democracy. Organized labor is the only way to have fair distribution of wealth. I agree. And we're at the end of Women's History Month, so I I, I thought this one was very appropriate as well. We as women should shine a light on our accomplishments and not feel egotistical when we do. It's a way to let the world know that we as women can accomplish great things. That's a great way to end um, the episode. And, and I'll just say that, um, I, I think we're going to, I think we're going to do some stuff on our caucuses soon. I know that we've talked about them before, but there have been, a, there's been some, some movement with our caucuses I, and especially with the women's committee. Um, I, I think they're making a lot of changes in the women's committee. So I'd like to spend some time talking about that on a future episode. Um, so to end the episode on a, you know, a, a quote about women and, and the power of women is awesome because we're going to talk about that soon. So look for that. Um, we want to thank everybody for listening, for downloading, um, for following. And if you're not following, shame on you. Go to Podbean and follow us. Follow the 10 to 12 podcast. Remember to email us. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you hate. Comms at Teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at Teamsters1150.org. Again, let us know what you like about it. Let us know what you hate about it. Let us know what you want to hear on future episodes. But but please, email us. Let us know something. And let us know what you want to hear in terms of benefits, in terms of the contract. Yes. What confuses yeah. you? What do you not understand? Or what, you know, what would you like some clarification on? We're happy to go through whatever you guys want to hear. Yep. Drop us a line. All right. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you listening. I'm Stephen French. I'm Vinny Kaitsi. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. Until next time, we'll see you.